Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin! This episode is sponsored by Formatted Books. Formatted Books is a book designing company for independent authors who want to see their written work come alive. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the RV. Today, the RV is headed to Mexico to talk to Wisconsin very own Travis King. Travis is the author of the new memoir, Not That Anyone Asked, a travel memoir about sex, drugs, love, and finding purpose. So, Travis, welcome to my RV. Thank you, Lucy. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to hang out and chat to you about all things travel and writing and whatever else we get into. Yes. So, Travis, I have a bond to pick with you. I see that you've traveled to so many beautiful places, including Peru, Australia, and the Philippines. Have you ever been to Brazil? So, yes, actually, it's not it's not in my memoir because that the memoir that I wrote covers a four-year stretch where I was sort of solo traveling and just really like on a shoestring budget trying to figure it out for myself and, uh, you know, seeing how I could keep pushing the adventure forward. But eventually um, in my life, and, and not to kind of spoil the end of the book, but I, I finally end up getting a pretty cool job in the travel industry in a brand new travel company called Remote Year. Well, at the time they were brand new. Now, now Remote Year is pretty well established out there. They're one of the biggest travel companies for digital nomads who want to travel in community, more or less. So that's sort of like the concept of the, of the platform. But I, I was really lucky to find them early on and get a job with them early on. And then I worked for them for about four years. Um, the last three of which I was their director of community. And through that job, I was actually able to go to Rio de Janeiro to spend a month running a big event for a bunch of people um, in the remote year community. So yeah, we had like, it was actually amazing. We had the the penthouse on the top of this big, like 15 story building right in Copacabana. Um, and so yeah, I, just, I had like the coolest Brazilian experience ever. And I, I found myself, you know, like using the public bikes, like wearing my Speedo and like biking down like the beach in Copacabana, just feeling so Brazilian and, and just loving it. It was, it was such a good time. So no, I really... I really love your country and I hope I get to go back someday because I really only got to see Rio and it's obviously just such a huge place. So I want to go to, you know, visit a bunch of the other, you know, amazing places I've heard about that other friends of mine have gone to check out before. So I got to go back, basically. You have to. And I'm glad that you visited my city. Rio de Janeiro is really beautiful. It's magical, magical. Yes. And your background is quite interesting. You have a master's in nonprofit management. So what type of work did this degree lead you to? Not not really anything you could have ever guessed, I, I suppose, because really like the start of the memoir I wrote is kind of right when grad school was wrapping up for me. And at that point, I was 28 years old. And I'd really let every decision in my life from like kind of finishing high school, like the age of 18, up until 28, like those 10 years, it was always just like, what's the next best thing for my professional life, like for my, for my education or for my, you know, professional pursuit. Cause you know, at that age, when you're younger, you feel a lot of pressure from society and your parents and family to like make a success of yourself. Right. So I made every choice through that whole stretch of my life to just like 
you know, impress my parents and, and, and make my resume a little bit shinier. And that led me to go back to grad school. So eventually I did get into this pretty prestigious grad school program in my home city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, called the Trinity Fellows at Marquette University. And they only take 10 people a year. So I was super honored to get in. I didn't have to pay for grad school. It was a fellowship. So it was a really amazing experience and I was super grateful for it. But at the end of those two years, I just had this thought of like, I'm about to be, like, I'm 28, like when I'm about to be 30, like when, when in my life am I going to get to make a decision for my life and not just like for this piece of paper? Because I really felt like I was making every choice for the, like, just to make my resume better and to like give me a better chance at a better career or whatever. But life's not just about that, right? So I, I don't know, I had that seed planted in my mind. And when grad school was finishing and people were like, hey, what are you going to do for work? Are you looking at any jobs? Or do you want me to put you in touch with this person or that person? I just started telling people I was going to go to South America <laughs> and I... And I didn't really have any reason to go. I just knew that like I had this window opening because grad school was closing. The lease on my house was ending. Like I really was like a lot of things were getting tied up in the same moment. And so instead of pursuing like employment, which I knew would like, you know, again, be a commitment for a number of years or whatever, I just was like, you know, I want to get on a plane. And, and I bought a one-way flight into South America and, and uh, that's kind of how the adventure started. And here I am almost 10 years later living in Puerto Escondido, Mexico, working on some cool projects here that have nothing to do with getting a master's degree in nonprofit management. <laughs> and really not much that I've done since has kind of like had a direct tie. Um, I've volunteered all over the world and I still have like that, you know, kind of that root in me of like wanting to do service work and wanting to serve as much as I can and, and when I can and when it makes sense to. And for remote year, I was in charge of all of our positive impact initiatives. So I like created partnerships in all the cities we went to as a company to try to make sure that our participants had a chance to also feel like they were able to give back to the communities that they were living in for the month um, in a really kind of like organic and good and natural way. Not, nothing that felt like, you know, too forced or, or, you know, like sort of like um, tourism that's like for doing good or whatever, you know, some of it can feel a little bit not, not so above board. Right. But um, yeah, so I've, I've tried to, you know, keep my service roots in some ways throughout the years, but really my life has taken just such a drastic turn since I got on that first flight to South America. And the first four years of which I wrote my book about because it really was just such like a eye-opening and life-changing time for me where I was growing and learning and experiencing more than I ever kind of imagined possible for, for every day of those four, four years. And I met so many people. I had so many great adventures and stories and, and different weird jobs and different weird volunteer opportunities that I never could have possibly predicted. And each one of those made the world feel more open to me and made, made the world feel like, it, you know, like my oyster, like I can do what I want, like whatever I want to pursue, whatever dream I want to chase, I can, and people will cheer for me and clap for me along the way. And, um, that sort of turned out to be true and still kind of what drives me. So now, now I've decided to kind of slow down and well, the pandemic helped me decide obviously, but um, now I've kind of, you know, slowed down and, and put my flag in the ground in Puerto Escondido and I'm, and I'm here and I'm really excited to be a part of the community there and, and do what I can to, yeah, to be involved and to help and to, to be, you know, to, to try to try to make the community more interesting and more connected going forward, but also to pursue some projects that my partner and I have and, it's a good life. It's a, it's a great time in Puerto. As you can see, there is no regrets. Exactly. Exactly. I regret, I regret dropping out of Spanish in high school because I still study Spanish every day and I wish I had it better, you know, like I, I need it now for like my life. So I spend about an hour every morning trying to get there and I'm like, you know, getting conversational at this point, but um, yeah, it's been like a massive effort. You know, it's hard. Like when your brain is 35 years old and you're trying to get a new language in there, it's not something that comes very easily. 
So uh, that's that's maybe like, yeah, whenever somebody's like any regrets, that's like the one thing I was thinking of. Like, I wish I would have stayed in Spanish. I, I switched to Latin just because it was easier to get an A in Latin in my high school and everybody knew it. And at that time, everybody around me was telling me how important grades were, not like how important this life skill of Spanish might be for me later. So, yeah, I wish I would have stuck with Spanish. But other than that, yeah, you're right. No regrets. Everything's kind of played out the way it was supposed to. Um, I'm a big believer, believer in serendipity and just kind of like chasing what feels good and and connecting the dots along the way. And your first book is called, not that you asked, but the part of the title that interests me is the finding purpose. Can you elaborate on what that means? Yeah. So the whole title, yeah, the whole title is not that anyone asked a travel memoir about sex, drugs, love, and finding purpose. All those things are definitely in the book. It's very just candid and raw and honest. And I told myself when I started writing it, this will only be good and it'll only turn out to be something I'm really proud of. If I can just be brave enough to be as honest as possible about every single thing that really did happen out on the road. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of like false modesty in society, really, especially in, you know, the generation that raised me and the baby boomers, like they want to act like they never had sex or did drugs. Like, get out of here. Come on. We're all human. We all did everything. Like, you know, whatever. Like we, we don't need to get too too much into that on, on the podcast today, but it's all in the book. And I really try to be super transparent about what, you know, living hard and fast and being just truthful is like. Um, and the finding purpose part is kind of wrapped up in all of that. Right. I was just like, trying to figure out what what a, what a good life and, and what a life that I would be proud to look back at is full of, right? And I knew that for me at the time, that that's, that's why I didn't just want to go into employment after grad school. I, I kind of knew that that whole like, just like find a partner and settle in the suburbs and raise a family and, and, and take this one career until retirement. I just knew that that blueprint wasn't for me. I don't know why, but I just felt like that would leave me feeling really like full of regret and full of like, okay, this was all life is like, this is all this one chance I have being on this planet is about. So yeah, I just, I just took my whole journey and I pushed my whole journey to be, you know, nine years out there in the world, moving and traveling and, and chasing something new as like a, a mission to figure out what that means and what that looks like. And I think a lot of it is just in the searching itself, in the connections, in the, in the serendipitous moments and in those things that you never could have pictured. And then you're right there smack in the middle of it. Um, I think you find a lot of purpose with that. For me, that was always enough. Like a lot of people, I think, feel a lack of purpose while traveling. But for me, just like seeing something new or trying a new dish or like, you know, tasting a new beer or whatever it might be, always felt like enough. You know, it was just like, this is, this is what life's about, like new experience and pushing yourself to find that. So you know, and then like people ask me, like, did you find the purpose? I'm like, I think I'm like still finding it, but I think, but I think I'm like on a, on a good path of keeping myself open to, to all those things. And, and, uh, you know, the desire to always be like learning and growing and pushing myself to discover what's next. Um, and I think the purpose is kind of mixed up in all that. Yeah. Your travels must have been quite inventful for you to write <laughs> yeah, a memoir about them. So, uh, Travis, I'm curious if there is any anecdote you can share with us without giving too much away and also a family-friendly anecdote, if possible. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great stories. Part of why I wrote the book is just because, you know, I had so many stories from my first few years of traveling that I started getting that suggestion from friends and family. Like, hey, when are you going to write your book? Like, all this crazy stuff has happened to you. And at first, I just took it as like a... a you know, creative compliment. And then eventually I was like, maybe I should write a book. I, I've always thought of myself as a, as a writer and as a pretty good one. So I was like, you know, this is kind of leading to something and maybe I should put it all together. Um, but there's a lot of great stories throughout the whole thing. Really like, like I broke the book into four continents. It starts in South America. And then there's a whole, the second continent is North America, which 
I live on Utila getting my dive master during that section. I moved to Alaska and work as a kayak guide. I moved to Hawaii and work as a farmer. And then after that section, I, I head to Australia. So that's obviously the third continent then. And I spent about a year and a half in Australia and then finally got kicked out and um, sent to Southeast Asia. And the last continent of the book is in Southeast Asia. But I guess the other anecdote I would touch on is that getting kicked out part. Um, that's not how I expected my time in Australia to end. I ended up on, on a year long working visa there when I first got there. So I, I kind of went through the proper channels and was like, you know, if I'm gonna go to Australia, I'm, I wanna stay for a while, it's far away and it's also expensive. So I wanna be able to work. So I had all that set up correctly, right? And did about a year. And then I went home, um, sort of chasing love with this girl that I had met who's actually happened to have been from Wisconsin. So we reconnected in Wisconsin, but I kind of knew right away it was like, you know, maybe something to do with the cold gray winter in Wisconsin. But after hanging out with, with her for about a week again, back in Madison, Wisconsin, I just knew something was broken. So I wrote all of my bosses in Australia, in Byron Bay. And I was like, hey, if I come back, can I still work? like maybe, you know, illegally, but like cash under the table kind of thing. And they were all like, hey, man, we miss you. We'll figure it out. Come back. So I went back on a tourist visa knowing I was sort of breaking the rules of a tourist visa. But like I had these connections and I had been, already been there a year. So I had, had all these bosses that really loved me and, and were like, yeah, we'll take you back on. So basically I stayed for three months. I, I applied for like a extension on my tourist visa just virtually. I didn't even have to talk to anybody and I got accepted for that. So I had another three months and I was like, woohoo, I figured it out. I'm killing it. Like still working every day, making good money. Australia pays well, right? So I was like coming up pretty fast. And then my buddy invited me to visit him in Thailand for like, a, you know, like a bro's party trip kind of thing in the islands of Thailand. And I was like, let's do it. I took a little backpack with like a couple board shorts and a tank top and, uh, and my toothbrush or whatever. And I spent the week in Thailand having the best time ever with my buddy Patrick and, and some of his homies from Chicago. And on the way back in, I knew to be careful. Like everybody kind of warned me, like Australia takes immigration really seriously. So be careful about it. And so I deleted everything off my Facebook. I deleted everything off my Instagram. I like, you know, cleaned up as much as I could on my like virtual profile of who I am. Um, and even when the plane landed, I put my, I put my phone off of airplane mode just to check if like any incriminating text messages would come in and there were two. Then I deleted them and I was like, oof, there was like somebody, you know, I worked at at the kayak company, like asking me if I wanted to take their paddle the next day. And I was like, oof, good thing I saw this delete. Then I'm in line for immigration. I get to the front. The lady scans my passport. And immediately she just was like, you need to talk to her. And she took my passport and handed it to some scarier lady. And I walked around like kind of, you know, feigning confusion. And she looked at me and she was like, you need, I need to confiscate your phone. It's a matter of national security. And I was like, that was, that's intense. Like, whoa. And then as I took my phone to hand it to her on the lock screen, I saw two text messages that had come through while I was in line in immigration somehow that I just missed or whatever. One was like a friend of mine I hadn't talked to in months and it just said, hey, what's the name of that kayak company you work for? I was like, no. And then the second text was just my boss at the cafe work that he's like, hey, Travis, pay came in early. You can come pick it up at the cafe whenever you want. So I like read those two texts as I'm like stretching my phone out to this woman. And I just knew then, you know, like my heart fell through my body and hit the floor of the immigration office. And I just knew I was sunk. And then, you know, it was like a five hour long sort of like ordeal, super scary. I ended up like getting interrogated by this guy who I call Immigration Dundee in my book. He was like six foot six with a tight ponytail and just super scary. But ultimately they gave me this super official piece of paper and they were like, you know, your visa has been revoked and you're going to be, you're going to be removed from the country. They put me in immigration jail in Brisbane and I spent three days there with like some really interesting dudes. It was basically like in my memory now, it's like just another scene from like a hostel because it was like a four dorm bed. It was like four beds in a dorm, you know? And these guys were Afghani, Iranian, and Kurdish. And they all had been there though for like two years, right? So like after I was starting to like bond with these, these my cellmates or whatever, like these hostel buddies in my head, they kind of told me their stories a little bit and they'd all been there for at least a year. Like one was a year, one was a year and a half, and one was two years. 
And I was like, you know, so down on my feelings just about being stuck in here for two days. So just totally, you know, like reframed my perspective about really like everything, you know, like, and they were the sweetest guys ever. And then actually even just to, to wrap the story up when I remember like they gave me a guitar at one point. So I was like playing guitar for him. So that's like why in my mind, I was like, it's just like another hostel and like just playing guitar for friends and like meeting these dudes and hearing their stories and having kind of a nice time. And, uh, it, although scary time. Right. And mm-hmm. on the way out, like I woke up the last morning and they, they came and knocked on my door. Like Travis, your, your van is here to take you to the airport. And basically what they do is they just put you on like the reverse flight you came in on and they, and they put it on the airline somehow. So they just put me back on an AirAsia flight to Kuala Lumpur. And they were like, hey, your flight's, you're, you know, ready to take the airport. And the guys all got out of bed and they all like gave me a hug and were like asking if they could help me with my bags and stuff. And then the one biggest, scariest guy out of the group, he was like covered in tattoos and like six foot five and muscly. And he was like, hey, I, uh, I made you this, I made you this origami swan. And he like gave me this little blue origami swan that I still have. And he was like, and don't forget, like, you're now going to go be a free bird and go have fun in Asia. But like, don't forget you have three friends in here that are still trapped like birds, birds in a cage. And I was like, oof, and like, I felt the tears coming, you know, and I just turned around and like ran to the van. But like those dudes, I always think about those guys and I, and I still have that swan. And it, every time I look at that swan, it still does that, it has that effect of helping me kind of like reframe everything. And if I'm feeling any kind of like, woe is me way about what, what's going on in my life, just to know that there's, you know, other people struggling with things that are probably, you know, a hundred times harder. So that was like one of the more interesting, unexpected stories of my travels that, that I think I captured pretty well in the memoir and, uh, yeah, shout out to those dudes that that I met in the Brisbane immigration prison. They were they were lovely and they helped me get through that sort of tough time. And and I still think about those guys a lot. I would be completely scared. And also, Travis, you mentioned your goal is to create a community in paradise, which you already created. What do you have in mind when you say community? So yeah, our goal is we, we already got the land purchased in, in my favorite neighborhood in Puerto Escondido. And I'm actually in Mexico City currently because we have a bunch of meetings set up this week with different like lawyers and, and people that we need to work with to make sure that it's all above board and set up correctly, right? When we start to try to bring in investments to build the place out. So I spent all of my money that I had in the whole world basically on the land. And now it's like, well, how do we get the money to build the thing that we want to build? But yeah, basically my, the concept is like to build a co-working, co-living, you know, a few blocks from the beach where... If you call it like in my mind, one of the simplest ways I try to frame it is like, like an idiot proof place to have like the best possible time. Like there'll be like community there. There'll be healthy activities there. There'll be social activities. There'll be professional development activities. There'll be a bar and a pool and like, you know, events happening most nights of the week. So it's my idea is, yeah, just if you come, I don't think we're going to let people book for any time less than a week. So it's like, if you come, you're kind of committing to like being a part of this little community for, for a short, short period of time, or maybe even longer, maybe you stay for a month or two months. But at the end, you'll definitely leave with new friends. You'll definitely leave having made new connections and feeling like you are part of this little beach community um, and that it can be like a second or third home for you on the, on the coast of Oaxaca. So yeah, I'm really excited to get it off the ground. We're going to call it Sobre Luna, meaning on the moon. And the idea there is kind of that like, you know, back in like the 70s when we first started doing space exploration, people then used to think like, oh, in the future, maybe we'll live on the moon. Turns out that's not the future. The future is like living in community again. That's really coming back in a major way because I think you know, we put up all these fences and all the suburbs all over the world. And then we realize like we kind of miss each other and we miss people. So like now people are kind of coming back to this idea of living in community. Also, we've realized that like the office is kind of not that important. And like, you can get your work done now that we have all this technology from anywhere you are in the world. So like remote working has obviously become a huge thing in the last few years, especially pushed by the pandemics. And now it's like, 
I don't think it's any going back. And, you know, living somewhere beautiful where there's like healthy activities happening, like every day in Puerto, you could surf, you could do yoga, you could play volleyball. There's just so many ways to stay healthy. Every time I see anybody that hasn't seen me now for years, like, wow, you look so good. You're so fit. I'm like, honestly, I'm not even trying. I just live on the beach. Like, it's just, it's just easy to like, I don't know, just stay in shape and, you know, look a little tan and whatever you're living on the beach. So yeah, we're just trying to create a place that if you come and spend some time, you'll feel like you're living your best life really like that. That's in, in a nutshell. That's the idea. Wow, this sounds like an amazing plan. And you know, maybe Puerto Escondido is, can be a great place to have a retreat for authors. Yeah, yeah, we could talk. Yeah, like, I mean, I want the place to have like, yeah, that sort of like retreat option. Like if somebody wants to kind of block the whole place for like a couple of weeks or something that we can do something really special for them there. And um no, yeah, I'm really excited to see. We already got, we have the first sort of like 3D renders from, from one of the project team that we're working with in Mexico City. And just seeing that has got me so excited, you know, like what it could potentially be be built into in the next year and a half or so. And yeah, just ready for it. I'm ready for that next step. Um, after after my time at Remote Year ended, I was sort of pretty keenly aware that I'd never have a job that cool again or that fun again. You know, like that job, I was traveling all over the world and somehow making money. And like, it was just an amazing opportunity for me. And now that that, you know, when that ended with the pandemic, I've just kind of, you know, turned like switched my mentality to be like, I just want to do things that I feel passionate about and like wake up every day at whatever time I decide to set my alarm clock for and then do whatever I want to do with my energy all day long on things that feel like good and productive for me and my partner and, and our dreams and our future. And so far, so good. You know, I'm like I've got the book out there. It's doing pretty well. I'm hosting a lot of events in my little town. I have this consultancy with my buddy Jason, where we're trying to help companies do better um, at remote work, since we have sort of all this remote work experience, basically. And then, yeah, next up is Sobre Luna and, and this community on the beach, and you know, just waking up every day and trying to pursue all these things that that make me feel really alive. And you know, maybe I'm finding my purpose, right? Like we talked about earlier. I'm sure you are. And Travis, you mentioned you are wrestlers with a new idea, which I relate yeah. to completely. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And you also mentioned that you are extremely present. So my question for you is, how do you stay present if your mind is always thinking about the next big thing? I struggle with this all the time. So I'm curious to know your thoughts. No, that's a really, really good question. It's honestly, it's pretty profound. Like I think... We could talk about this one for a while, but I'll try to I'll try to make it tight. Um, yeah, like I I work on being present a lot, and I'm definitely not you know great at it. I mean, it's something that I that I think I have gotten better at in the last few years. But you know, there's little tricks I guess I do where like when I'm when I'm working on a certain task, I'll like put my phone away from me so that like a notification doesn't throw me off from like, you know, completing the blog that I'm writing. Cause I think that's a really common human experience these days, right? Where like you are on your phone for something that felt like productive or something you were meant to do. And then you're doing something totally different. You're like on Instagram and you're like, why did I pick up my phone? Like, what am I doing with my phone in my hand? And that's like, because the people that developed all these apps are trying to, trying to steal your attention and trying to steal your time from you. So like just doing what you can, I think to let them not and I think that will help you stay present, right? So even now, like when my partner and I watch a movie, we started doing this thing a few months ago where I'll be like, phone, and she'll hand me her phone and I'll go put the phones behind the TV. So like, then that's like a guarantee way for like, we're just going to spend the next hour and a half cuddling our dog, holding hands, watching a movie and just watching the movie. Like, I think 
I think there's people like that grew up in the era of, you know, Instagram and the internet who like don't even know how to watch movies anymore. And that's just like such a crazy thing to me, right? Like they're just, they're holding their phone and like scrolling something while like the movie's on in the background. It's so, like maybe in their mind, they're like, I'm watching a movie, but you're really not. You're, you're, you're scrolling your phone and getting those like little endorphin hits that Instagram and Facebook were built to make. Um, so I don't know, little, little tricks like that I try to do. And then I really just try to also, I think one thing with just like the human connection side is when I'm interacting with anybody, I, I do try to like remind myself, like be in this conversation. It's really, it's really easy to think like, oh, I got to talk to that person next. Like I was just at a wedding this weekend and my band played and there's so many beautiful people at this wedding and so many people that I'm really good friends with, so many people that I wanted to become better friends with, so many people that I wanted to meet for the first time. But it's really easy when you're like talking to somebody that you're meeting for the first time to be like, oh, but I want to, I got to go tell Brad, my friend, this thing over here. And it's so easy to let your brain do that. Right. But I kept, I remember at the wedding specifically, keep trying to be like, just be with this person. Like it might be your first conversation you're having with them, or it might be a great friend that you're catching back up with again, but it's so easy to be like, Oh, but I got to talk to the wedding coordinator about when is the band going to start and da da da. But I just kept trying to like bring myself back to like, whatever you're doing, just like do that, like do it well and like be, be in that conversation and make sure the other person feels like seen and valued as a human being. Cause that's what we all want to feel too. When, when we're being spoken with. Right. So I'm just trying to be as good as I can about, I guess that little, you know, that little element of life. But I think, I think that alone pays a lot of dividends in, in ways that, um, you know, you know, like ripple like waves throughout every other aspect of your life too. If you really give the best of yourself to the people that you're interacting with, I think they, they feel that and they see that and, and they start to kind of embody and spread that as well. So in that little way, I'm trying to also, yeah, just kind of like lead by example in a, in a day-to-day way of how you can try to be present and make people feel good in those conversations and those interactions that you have with them. Yeah, I love your answer. Yeah, I try also. I'm trying to be more, like, to be more focused and avoid checking my phone all the time because it becomes, we become addicted to these things. Totally. Uh, Travis, where can we find your book? Not that I asked, which I love the title. So where can we find you and your book? Awesome. Thank you for asking. So I did make a little website. You can find more about myself, other podcasts I've been on, other blogs I've written um, at my website, which is just TravisWKing.com. So that's pretty simple. And then obviously there's a bunch of links to the book on my website. But another very simple way is just to Google, not that anyone asked travel memoir, and it'll come up right away on Amazon. Um, and that's where I sell it through Amazon. So obviously, you know, I don't like that my four years of labor in writing the book is making Jeff Bezos slightly richer. That that kind of bugs me. But um, in the end, they did build out the best infrastructure for somebody who wants to self-publish and have, you know, a friend in Japan be able to buy his book. So I ended up going the self-publishing route through Amazon and it's been actually like, you know, it's very kind of nice as a self-published author. If anybody out there listening is thinking about putting something out into the world, it is a pretty good system and it's worked out pretty well for me. So yeah, you can go there. You can read all the reviews around there and everything else. Um, I'm still really proud. I'm holding it like a 4.9 out of five stars and I've been rated by about 150 different readers that are all verified by Amazon. So at this point, I know they're not even all people that know me or they're my friends, like just actual just people out there who found my book and are reading it and still giving it five stars. So it feels pretty good. And um, yeah, that's where you can find it. That's where you can order the, the paperback ships to something like 10 different countries. But obviously the, the ebook, the Kindle book can go to any Kindle in the world, wherever you are. So if you have a Kindle, I think that's a really great reading experience. There's a lot of, um, I made like little maps of every 
country I went to. So you can see like the actual route on a map of where I went through that country. And then I put photos at the end of every continent. So, you know, if you, if you get to meet like, you know, say my first best travel friend, Brian, he's this crazy Irish guy in continent one, you might be picturing Brian in some way, but then at the end of that continent, you'll get like a number of photos of the two of us being goofballs all over South America. And you'd be like, oh, that's actually who Brian was. Oh, that's cool. Okay. And then the next continent will start and you'll meet some new characters and you get to kind of that payoff at the end of that section of getting to see the photos from some of those adventures. So. Yeah. I think both the Kindle and the paperback are pretty good experiences. And yeah, you can find them either there on, on Amazon or, or at my website, like I said. Wonderful. And what I'm going to do is also publish your article on my website. And awesome. also the many, many, like your book cover, your photo, which I believe you look like Heather Ledger. Anyone? Heath Ledger? One, yeah, ask, uh, told you about it. Before? I don't. I don't get that too much. I used to get like really flattering people. I used to get like uh, Brad Pitt and Justin Timberlake in my twenties, and now I get uh, now I get what's the guy's name? Uh, I'll have to look it up. He's he's like the the wolf in Pulp Fiction. He's like. Uh, He's an older, he's an older guy, but he, he's a cool guy. So I'm not like that mad about it, but I'm like, oh, now I get this old guy. <laughs> okay. So now our listeners are going to be curious about things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, exactly. So Travis, it's a pleasure to talk with you and I hope you come back. Thanks, Lucia. I'd love chatting with you too. So yeah, anytime if you want to catch up in the future, let me know. And I'd be happy to do another conversation with you. You're a wonderful host. And thanks for having me on the RV, man. It's very fun. Of course. I'll be more than glad and happy to drive to Puerto <laughs> Condido. <laughs> yeah, you let me know if you ever come down this way. I, uh, I'll be happy to host you in my little town. I, I've been there for over a year now, and I really love it. It's a really amazing place to call home. So come visit. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.